Good evening, everybody. Good to see all of you here tonight. It's a good night to finish up Philemon. And if you didn't get a handout on your way in, slide your hand up. Brother Tim's going to bring you one. And I'd like to spend it in the last few verses tonight of Philemon. And hopefully we'll have a, a unique study of this portion. And I have to give a little bit of credit where the credit is due. Um, the pastor last week, he taught this at our Mallard Creek campus. And so I was getting ready and he was getting ready and he came through and he says, here's what I'm thinking about doing. And he gave this idea and evidently my reaction wasn't very good. It like I didn't think it was that good of an idea. Well, then I, I got ready to teach it this week and I started looking at the text and I thought, hey, that, that was actually a pretty good idea that he had. And so uh, in all humility, I will give him full credit right now that the structure and the idea of how I'm going to do tonight is completely his. And even a few things I say I might have taken from him. Um, however... Uh, I do have a few things here that I, I will add in a little bit of my own uh, flavor. But here's essentially what he said. You come to the end of Philemon, there's not a whole lot there. However, uh, the last, you know, I think, 17 through 25, there's these last few verses uh, in particular mentions, as you'll notice in my notes tonight, um, seven different names. So uh, the idea was to take a moment and maybe t take Paul, make him the focal point of influence and say, what's Paul's relationship to each of these individuals and how should we look at how Christians should invest or influence others? So essentially what I'll just do is fly around the orbit tonight of Paul and then we'll take each of these individuals and tell a little story about them and talk about them for a minute. And maybe out of each one we'll learn something that's applicable. In fact, I added, so just to let you know, take credit, the, the, uh, by each name, I added a word that particularly defined them that I thought might be helpful. There's multi multiple dimensions to relationships. But in particular, when you think about investing in people, I thought it would be good for us to look at each one of these individuals. So I'm just going to read uh, the end of this book, 17 down. And if, if you're not familiar up until this point, you know, Paul is, in, is writing this letter from prison. And as he writes it, he is uh, writing it to Philemon. And he's saying, look, I have run across uh, Onesimus, who was a slave of yours, and he ran away. And tonight we'll talk about how he took some things he shouldn't have. But since then, somehow through the sovereignty of God, we've come across each other. And now he has uh, come to faith in Christ, and now he's incredibly useful to the kingdom. And so I want to try to find a way to make this thing right, so that one, we can get whatever record of runaway slave off of him, and then either you or I, Paul saying this, can use Onesimus for the gospel. He will be useful to us. And so essentially that's kind of the main idea going with here. And so the middle part, what I dealt with last week was, Actually, his plea of speaking directly to him of what he wanted to see happen, uh, really the ultimate goal is emancipation, that he would be freed from his 
duties as a slave and uh, would be able to be used for the gospel because he's there helping Paul. So that's the main idea here. Now, I'll deal with these first two characters at the start, but after that, we'll kind of go off of the rest of the book, and we're going to look at each of these other individuals. And we'll bounce a little bit around the Bible. I've got some verses here. But in particular, what I want to speak about and focus on is what the Lord has placed you here as a Christian, not as always a consumer. He's placed you here to use you to impact those that are around you. And there are all kinds of people around us. And in many ways, uh, what I'll try to do is take each of these seven individuals and capture the different ways in which we interact with people. Pretty simple. So I'm going to read 17 down. I'll say a quick prayer for us, and then we'll roll through this and maybe uh, even get out of here a little bit before uh, 7.30. Verse 17 says, So if you consider me your partner... Receive him as you would receive me. Paul's asking for Philemon to receive Onesimus just like he would have received Paul. In verse 18, if he's wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. If, and he says, I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit. From you and the Lord, refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I'm hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. And then here's a list of names. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner, Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark, uh, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. Grace, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, may you bless the reading of your word. May in these moments we be challenged in how we uh, invest our lives in the other people around us. And Lord, help us to be people of grace and of the gospel. Pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, here's what I'd like to do. Uh, let's start with Philemon. And looking in particular of what is Paul's, again, Paul is the center of the orbit, and we're going to look at how everybody orbits to Paul. And in particular, what's Paul's relationship to Philemon? In many ways, Paul looks to Philemon, and Philemon's a person that can give. He's a man of means. He is able, uh, he has money, he has success. Um, you know, even just speaking, simply put here, he has enough money to own a slave. He, he has money. And it shows in a little bit about what he's able to do here and also where the church meets. If you look all the way back there in verse 2, verse 1, uh, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, Appy, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Right? So guess who's got the big house? Right? He's writing to Philemon, and he says, hey, that church... That meets in your house. So Philemon is a man of means. And even here he knows that as he writes about paying him back, he says, look, I'll pay you back, but I know you're not going to make me pay, right? He knows that he has money. Um, but in the midst of that, Philemon was never intimidating to Paul. 
because Paul actually led him to the Lord. Did you see it in the text? Look at there in verse 17. And we'll go all the way down to 19. I think I have it there in your, on your handout there now. So if you consider me your partner. So now, because he's now a Christian, they are partners in the gospel, right? So he's talking about him as a Christian. Receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. But then Paul starts to call on his, the debt that Philemon owes him. He says, I, Paul, write this with my own hand and I will repay it. And then he says, but you know what? I'm not going to talk at all about the fact that, that your entire spiritual life, I gave you that one. Right? In other words, I'm not going to bring up the fact you'd still be dead in sin and apart from Christ and destitute and hopeless if it weren't for me sharing the gospel. Right? I mean, he, he brings up the fact that the joy and all he has in life came from Paul's investment in him. So, so to pause here for a moment, um, to say that he owed his entire spiritual life to Paul. I, I can imagine Philemon was a man of means and of wealth. And, and sometimes I think that we as Christians can let success in other people's life be intimidating to us. We think, we look over and see somebody that does well, and because of money they seem to have a stable life. They're not running around trying to pay their bills. They seem to be smart and intelligent, handle themselves well. And in that moment, we stop to see them as a person who actually has spiritual needs. So when I talk about Christian influence, you don't just, and I'll get to this in a minute because Onesimus is going to be somebody that only takes from Paul. He can't give him anything. So when he goes to share the gospel with Onesimus, he's got to give him it. He's got to give him everything. In reverse here, he looks to somebody who can only give. And in that moment, it's not that he says, well, they have everything. I don't need to share the gospel with them. Sometimes the temptation is to go find the most destitute person that sin has ravaged their life. And you say, well, that's the person I need to share the gospel with. And then you look across the street or somewhere in your job or whoever you see. And you're like, man, they have money. I know they don't have Jesus. Their life seems to be together. And you start to think, they don't need it. But for whatever reason here, Paul was able to lead this man to the Lord when he seemed to have plenty of stuff. So ultimately I would say, when we approach and look at spiritual investment, we need to look at people who can give to us as people who still have spiritual needs. I'll even say it here in a moment with Onesimus, but I think oftentimes people's physical needs are a distraction for their spiritual needs. So in a sense of you think, that person has everything, so clearly they probably don't need Jesus, right? It, you know it's not true, but it's tempting to think, right? So I guess where I want to draw it here for a moment is to say, you need to look at everybody around you, and even those that have stuff, as people who still have spiritual needs. And to press it further, uh, what's, what's cool here is that even though they might be of different classes, because I don't think Paul really had a lot in life. He just was kind of living off tent maker. He's not a real wealthy person. They're partners in the gospel. So no matter what class of person you are, where you're at, when you're in the gospel, we're partners together. And so that's a little bit of this relationship you have with Philemon to Paul. And then I don't know what to do with this. I'll just point it out. Uh, it's a strange verse. Uh, notice verse 20, 
he, he just speaks with such boldness. Verse 20 says, yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. And doesn't that feel strong? He says, refresh my heart in Christ. I mean, it's, it's this expectation that he ought to be exercising his faith. Now, I, I'm not saying that you just find a person who has a lot of money and say, look, I need some benefit and some refreshment from you, right? I don't think that's the biblical idea here. I do think there is some idea that if the Lord has blessed you, there's an expectation you ought to be using it. And somehow Paul sees a moment here and says, look, I, I just think you as a Christian, Philemon, you ought to be exercising this faith. And, and in fact, what's interesting here, uh, to rewind right back to the first verse I gave you, what, what's Philemon doing with his home? He's already generous. He's already the person that when the church needs a place, he's the one doing it. The Lord's blessed him with it. He's using it. And so Paul's just continuing to expect that'll be what a Christian does. So anyway, there's just a little bit of Philemon and how we ought to look and say those that can only give to us, sometimes it can be intimidating. Sometimes we want to withdraw from that. But in fact, does not take away the fact they need to be led to the Lord as well. Let's, let's flip it over to Onesimus, a, a person that Paul would receive uh, only after he had given quite a bit any benefit from. I mean, he would eventually come and help serve Paul, but it's going to require a lot from him. Let's just lay out a few strikes against Onesimus, right? Um, the first, I don't imagine, uh, whether good or bad, however it comes, the slave status that he, he lives in is not a high status position, right? It, it's not that this is a, a person of real status in the culture. You look at Onesimus, he's not walking around with a high status that he lives with. To press it further, he's a fugitive. The, he, was, he had run away. And if he were to be caught, he's broken the law. So you've got a guy who is of low status, that has run away, and he's a thief. Right? Look at verse 17. We've read it already a couple times. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. And notice what he says. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. Why does he say all that? Because somewhere along the way, which this is interesting, I think, just appear into Onesimus, he has somewhere confessed to this sin of taking something he shouldn't have, which is just a sign of being a believer that sin just gets confessed and somewhere Paul's found out about this and in this moment is trying to right the wrong of taking in this scenario. So, so for here, Paul not only had nothing to gain from him, in fact, here he has to put his name on the line to pay his debt. And so uh, one of the interesting things here uh, about what's written, notice verse 19 where he says, I, Paul, write this with my own hand. Think about that for a second. Why would he do that? Why would he say, I'm signing this agreement that I'll give you money? Do you get a sense of what he's doing there? He, it's like signing his check. He's saying, I know this is true, but I, I'm it's almost like a legal, I'm agreeing to pay you. I, there, there's this sense of, Paul is not just saying, I think I'll give you money. 
He's trying to give him a piece of paper that he could walk up to a judge and said, Paul said he'd pay this debt. I mean, that's how serious he is about how much he's willing to give for Onesimus. So again, when we talk about Christian influence, we talk about sharing the gospel, we're not just only looking at those who give, we're also going to share with those who take. Those who can only take from what we have. Those who are going to cost us. And to press the cost a little bit further, I'll just leave it at this point. Think about what Paul was laying on the line by vouching for Onesimus with Philemon. I mean, he's putting his reputation. You ever, you ever have to do that for somebody? Like say, I vouch to you for this person. And all of a sudden, you feel like everything you believe in and everything you've built is now on the line for whatever this person does. And so he's doing that. He's saying, receive him as you would me. I mean, so, so you see this sense of how much Paul is willing to give and lay on the line for Onesimus. So um, let me press this down to application for a minute about how we should see people. Sometimes with people who have very little and can only take, we even get distracted by their physical needs as well. In other words, you think the person has a lot, has everything. The same part is you think the person has nothing, then the solution for them is to have more material goods. And we miss the fact they need spiritual help. So the same thing here is that Paul knows even though Onesimus had little he actually needed to come to faith in Christ. Ultimately, that was the solution for him. And so we also to see this person as somebody we should share the gospel with. So we're not only investing in those that can give to us, we're going to in, invest in those who take from us. Now, I want to run a little tangent. It's a short one, but it's fairly fascinating. I'm not, we're not sure if this is completely connected, but it's worth knowing. Um, church history records uh, the name Onis Onesimus outside of the Bible. There's a guy named um, Ignatius of Antioch. He was the bishop at Antioch, which if you know much about Acts, you have Jerusalem, and then when persecution breaks out, it spills right down to Antioch. And so he's the bishop uh, right about the time that would have been a few years after what we're talking about here, about the time that Onesimus might have matured in his faith. And he's writing a letter to Ephesus. And he writes this, he writes this, I'll read it to you. Onesimus, whose love surpasses words in the flesh as your bishop, I pray that you may love him with a love according to Jesus Christ, that you may all be like him. For blessed is he who granted unto you Worthy as you are to possess such a bishop. Now, again, it's not God's word, but it can easily be. It doesn't mean everything that was written back then was false, right? But in essence, it's possible. And people want to believe it's connected. That it's possible one day Onesimus would go on to be the bishop, one of the bishops at Ephesus. I mean, what an investment at somebody who you would have never guessed made that jump. I mean... I mean Amazing to see uh, what God can do sometimes with somebody you'd never think it would happen to. So just to pause on that for a moment. Um, I, I think the temptation is to invest in people that you can only see will do great things for the Lord. 
But I have learned, I'm, some of you got a few years on me, but I got some years in life. And I've learned and I've watched, particularly in student ministry over the years, I've seen so many different students grow up that I watched. And what I found is sometimes the ones I thought I was sure they were going to be in ministry and they were going to do amazing things, and they're not even walking with the Lord today. And then there are some students that I, I never saw coming. And they are the most dynamic. God is using them in amazing ways. And it's because the Lord is able to do things with people you never thought he could. So I guess when I say it, don't underestimate how far the Lord might bring somebody along. So when we look down at Onesimus, who you might have looked at and said, this guy has nothing to offer me. Well, possibly, if anything, he came to be very useful to the church. We know that for sure, and possibly became a bishop. It's a neat story about God's grace. So for those who might could take, let's look at Epaphras for a moment. Look at verse 23. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you. Let's talk about who Epaphras is. So some, I, I'm really fascinated. I'll, I'm going to spend a moment um, with uh, Mark. Make sure I get that right. Okay. Um, I'll spend a moment with Mark here, but I also have, uh, I'd like to speak about Epaphras and Aristarchus, which is going to be, I think, maybe the one I did not know as much about. If you're familiar, it's going to be, I think it's interesting. Um, but let's talk about Epaphras for a moment. I, I put some text there in front of you that we're going to read. In particular, what you see with Epaphras is a multiplying ministry. Paul's invested in somebody who would then, you, you have somebody that's planting and carrying the ministry elsewhere. And in verse 23, they're fellow prisoners here. But notice what he says in uh, Colossians 4 when he's des uh, describing Epaphras. Hold on. We missed a verse. You don't have this one in your notes, I don't think. So I'm going to read Colossians 1, verse 7 first. And then I'll read Colossians 4. Colossians 1, 7 when he's speaking to the church at Colossae, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. So we get this sense that the church has learned the gospel from Epaphras. So there, here's a faithful minister of the gospel who has carried this. There, in, fact, in fact, probably was a part of planting the church, if not planting it himself. That's what we're looking at with Epaphras. Somebody who Paul is multiplying his ministry thing, uh, here with him. Now look at Colossians 4. You have it there in, in front of you. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Heriopolis. So you, you have this picture of somebody who's genuinely invested in the church. Now, we don't have time for it. There's a whole lot there in Colossians 4 uh, to look at. I mean, they learned the gospel from him. Um, he was a native, uh, native to Colossae. He lived there. So you think about, uh, oftentimes, 
it takes somebody who is from there to reach the people. Sometimes when you win somebody to the Lord, it may be that person that reaches everybody else. Um, to press it further, he persevered in prayer. Uh, notice the phrase, he's always struggling on your behalf in his prayers. And then I'll pause on this one last part of the text here, and then I'll leave it alone. I won't spend too long on this. But notice for Epaphras, he says, notice how he prayed. He, he was struggling on your behalf in his prayers. So when you're struggling on the behalf of somebody else in your prayers, I dare say we fall in the trap of praying for people's sickness way more than we should pray for their spiritual health. And so notice what he prays for. That you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. So if I can encourage you with something tonight, find a Christian and pray that for them. In your walk with the Lord, wherever you're at, you don't, we don't often pray for the Lord to strengthen us as Christians, but I would say that would be a, a good practice to get into. Is anybody warm in here? Huh? I'm going to take my jacket off. Some of you who are always cold are thrilled with tonight, right? All right, so that's Epaphras. Fellow prisoner with Paul. Now, I want to spend some time on John Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and then we'll kind of, we could spend a long time on Luke, but we're going to run out of time. So let's look at John Mark. So verse 24 is our list, right? And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. So it's these four names in a row. These are the ones greeting as he's writing to Philemon. And um, in particular, uh, we want to do a little profile of Mark. Uh, this is the one, um, hopefully I'll do it justice. Brother Phil over here was talking about it after last week in many ways. Gives us a picture into um, Paul's ability to forgive in the same way he was asking Philemon to forgive. So let me try to paint the picture with you tonight. I'll walk through these different texts and see if I can show you a little bit about who Mark or John Mark is known. He's actually called by both names in a couple of different spots. Um, Mark is... Uh, his Jewish name and John, or sorry, John is his Jewish name and then Mark is his Roman name. And so you, you see both names kind of go back and forth when he's referred to that. Uh, the first time we really see him in the book of Acts, uh, the church is meeting in his mom's house. Uh, his mom's name's Mary in Acts 12. The church is meeting there in his house. But we learn from Colossians chapter 4, he has a relationship with another famous follower of Christ. Look at there, Colossians 4.10. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And Mark, he's the cousin of Barnabas. Him and Barnabas are related. They're cousins, right? And so there's this connection between the two of them. So what ends up happening is Barnabas and um, Paul are on their way. They've completed, and they're on their way to go to a relief mission from Antioch, which is right down the road from Jerusalem, they're going to Jerusalem. When they get there, 
they find um, John Mark. And he's like, well, I want to come with you. So they take him with They go back to Antioch. And then from that point, they say, well, let's go on. A, they start to go on a missionary journey. So they take him with him. So look, uh, as they go on the road, they're, they're going on this missionary journey. The problem is John Mark's not really ready for this. For whatever reason, it doesn't go well. Look at Acts 13, 13 in front of you there. Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. And John, he left them and he returned to Jerusalem. I don't know why. He left. And so we know at this point he departed from them. We don't. We don't get as bad of a picture as it might have been, but he, he just, he wasn't ready to, to go on this yet. And um, down the road, they meet back up. And they start to say, well, he'd like to go again. Paul's not a big fan of again. In other words, you, you didn't go the first, you, you bailed on me the first time, let's not do it again. Let's look at Acts 15, you've got it right there in front of you. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas, remember this is his cousin, wanted to take with them John called Mark. But Paul thought it best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. So, so something was significant up Paul and thought it best Sounds like it's kind of soft. Verse 39, it doesn't sound so soft. So there arose a sharp disagreement. Argument, fight, it didn't go real well, right? I mean, they're all ready to pack their bags and go on a journey together. And it goes so severe, look at what it says, so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. So, so you get this idea that Barnabas says, well, I'm going to take my cousin... And Paul is going to depart from him there. So, so they split off at this point. It's such a sharp disagreement, Paul won't even go on a missionary journey with the guy. That's how significant this was. However, when we interact and invest in people as Christians, we not only have to deal with those who are strong, those that can give us stuff, those that will take from us, We'll have those that will multiply what we give them, but we're also going to have those that will grow as we interact with them. In other words, what was yesterday will not be tomorrow. What they acted like a year ago will not be what they act like now. It's part of the Christian journey that we have to learn to let go of a year ago and trust that there is some sort of change, something is different. Because evidently, for whatever reason, Mark was not very useful. However, that changes. Let me just walk through uh, back to what we're talking about here. Um, at this point, he will have John Mark with him in the greetings of Philemon. They are back unified together. First um, Peter 5, you have it there in front of him. Peter will refer to him as my son. There's this idea which Peter sees them as a son in the faith. But 2 Timothy 4.11 is the big one that draws it out. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark him and bring him with you for he is very useful to me for ministry. What a, what a turn, right? 
I mean, what a big jump from I won't even go with him to now bring him because he's useful. Like, now I see a change in his life. So I, I draw this whole thing out to say we're going to invest in people that will grow. And we as Christians have to have an ability and a willingness to forgive. And, you know, Brother Phil asked this question last week, and I think it's ap- thoughtful, is how well could... How well could Paul have written this letter to say, Philemon, drop it, if he wasn't willing to drop it himself? So as he's asking Philemon to say, hey, let this stuff go, he's writing with John Mark right there saying, look, I let it go. I'm willing to work through stuff as a Christian. And so you should be willing to say, you know what, Onesimus, it was wrong, but right now I'll, I'll let it all go. So we as Christians... As we interact and invest in other people, we need to be willing and quick to forgive. And I'll just press this last part. If you want to be a person of influence, like you want to be a leader, you want your life to matter, you want people around you to say, that person has impacted me, you've got to be a gracious person. A person that walks around pointing fingers, always judging not very kind, not willing to forgive, you'll run anybody off that will ever listen to you. You've always got to point out a wrong. You're going to push them all away. If you want to have impact, I'm not saying you let everything go. I'm saying if you want to have impact, you've got to be kind and gracious. And what you see is this gracious ministry of Paul. Even when things had gone wrong, he's willing to forgive. All right, let's look at Aristarchus for a moment. Just out of curiosity, before tonight, if I would have said, who is Aristarchus, who in this room would have had a clue, other than probably Brother Phil? Would would anybody, a couple, I'm just saying, how often do you hear Aristarchus talked about? It's not a name that shows up every day, but we're going to look, Aristarchus has been hanging around. And he's around more than you might have thought. As the pastor said, I was talking, I'll give him this quote. He's like Forrest Gump. He just shows up everywhere as you go through. So, so look at, uh, again, he's part of the list, right? I, I won't read the list to you again. Um, let's walk through the text that I gave you there. First, let's look at Colossians 4. And, and Jesus, who is called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers in the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. In fact, that was a mistake. You should have verse 10 as well. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. So the one we just read. And then it says, these are all men of the circumcision. So to connect the verses you don't have here, you see Aristarchus is at the bottom. Sorry, I don't know how that happened. I copied some of the pastor's handout. This is probably his fault, not mine. <laughs> but if you notice at the bottom is verse 10, you see, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. If you go up to verse 11 at the top of your page, it'll say, these are men of the circumcision. In other words, Aristarchus is a converted Jew. He, he is a Jewish convert to the faith. He's also a, a fellow prisoner of Paul. And, um, but you say, well, has he really been suffering with him this whole time? 
Is he willing? Is he once willing to suffer alongside of him? And the answer is absolutely yes. Because if we go back to the book of Acts, we hear about him in Acts chapter 19. He's with Paul in Ephesus. And we'll just read a couple of verses here. When they heard this, they were enraged. This is when a riot breaks out. They're crying out, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So the city was filled with confusion. They rushed together in the theater. And guess who they dragged? They dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians who were Paul's companions in the travel. So here's in Ephesus, Paul, he's got Aristarchus with him there. And a riot breaks out and he gets drug out of the theater. I mean, this is their... Uh, his moment to be alongside suffering with Paul. You say, well, does he hang around much longer? Yes, he does. And in fact, I, to me, I, this, to, this was, I'd never thought about this part before of why somebody would do this next part. Because Paul will eventually one day appeal to Rome. The end of the book of Acts, right? He says, I'm going to go to Rome. And on the process, so we've got to get you to Rome. And it's not, we're going to take the, the red-eye flight out of, you know, over to Rome, and you're going to be there by morning. We've now got to take this ship through some really treacherous waters. And so, you know, the end of the book of Acts is all these stories about being shipwrecked and all this crazy stuff. And so in your mind, you're thinking, okay, well, there's just Paul on this ship. And he's the prisoner. But chapter 27, verse 1 and 2, let's see what Aristarchus is doing. And when it was decided that he should sail for Italy, they delivered Paul and some of the other prisoners to a centurion of Augustan cohort named Julius. And embarking um, on the ship of Adramatium, which was about to sail to the ports along the coast of Asia, we put to sea, accompanied, and here he is, by Aristarchus, a Macedonian for Thessalonica. Notice it did say we put to sea, right? Who's writing this? Luke. So it's Luke, Aristarchus, and Paul. So when you hear the stories that go and they're shipwrecked and snake bitten and all this stuff happening, Aristarchus is there. He's a part of this journey to Rome. And then when Paul arrives there, he's got Luke. He's got Aristarchus with him. So we have this faithful example of a Christian who's willing to walk alongside of Paul and suffer along with him. I mean, can, can you just imagine getting on the ship? I think, man, you know what? This has been a lot of fun. <laughs> I mean, we're about to take this terrible journey. You're the prisoner, I'm not. I mean, I, seriously, I would, have, I would have had some real reservations. But he says, I know the gospel has to be taken to Rome. I know the mission. I know what God's called you to. I'm with you. I mean, what a profound commitment to the Lord. Somebody like Harris. What, what a blessing to have a brother in Christ who would suffer alongside of Paul. I mean, how much of a blessing is to you as a Christian to have somebody that comes alongside of you, they don't have to be in the middle of it with you. They're not the one who's sick, they're not the one who's struggling, they're not the one walking that road, but they're willing to come get on the ship and walk with you. I don't know, I was encouraged by Aristarchus. But not everybody turns out so well, do they? Demas is one that doesn't turn out. Right? That's the next one in our list.
Because Demas is in this list. He's saying, Demas is greeting you. He's, he's a part of our ministry. But then 2 Timothy 4.10, a sad verse here. For Demas, in love with the present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. He left. And not just because of a disagreement. You know, John Marks was just, there was something there, he went home. Here, he loved the world more than he did the Lord. He wasn't a Christian. He, he's not a follower. He's not with him. Sometimes this is going to be tough, right? Because you invest your life in somebody and then it doesn't actually pay off. So some people you invest in will not pan out. It's hard. You, you don't know who they're going to be. You don't know who that you're going to put your life into and spend hours and time and invest yourself and then find out they have nothing to do with the Lord. But it will happen. You know, it's going to be very frustrating too, isn't it? I hate doing something over again, right? Whenever I play golf, and you come up and you miss the green by a little bit and you're going to chip up onto the green, the most frustrating thing to me is when I chip over the green and then I'm further away than my last shot. It's as if the one before was a complete waste, right? So you get this feeling of like all this effort or time you pour into somebody, even for the Apostle Paul, there would be some that will just walk away. And you don't know who they're going to be, but you still invest in them. Finally, Luke. We'll end with Luke. Like I said, we could spend a, quite a bit of time uh, because there's a lot on Luke. However, I think it's fitting in all of these friendships and relationships, it's fitting to kind of end with Luke. I mean, you notice he's last. Do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow worker. He's put him last in the list. And, um, you know, he gets to the end of his life, 2 Timothy 4. We're kind of coming down to the end of his writings Look what he says. He says, Luke alone is with me, right? It's nice to have a friend that's willing to endure and make it all the way through. You have some that suffer, but you have some that go all the distance, right? Those are the best of friends, right? The ones that make it all the way through. Luke was on that ship. Luke was the one writing everything down, right? And he says, um, listen to how he describes him in Colossians 4.14. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Look in the same list. His most faithful friend and the one that would desert him. But either way, he spent his life investing in all of them. I mean, what a cool picture, right? We're able to put Paul in the middle of this orbit and see from successful Philemon all the way down to Onesimus who took from him to Epaphras who's out there planting churches. You, you see it to John Mark who he had a disagreement with but he worked it out and then they became partners and it was very useful in the ministry. You see Aristarchus who's this kind of quiet 
Who is this guy? He's been there all this time. He's doing all this stuff, faithfully serving the Lord. You see Demas who walked away, and then you have Luke who is there with him. Galone is with me. So I guess the question I would say is how are you investing and influencing who's around you? Example I've heard many times, I've said it here before, I've heard it said, somebody said one time, they just hope that there's 10 people at their funeral not looking at their watch. The thought, though, would be is that there's 10 people sitting at their funeral going, man, that person really changed my life. And I guess the question for you is how you're living your life. Can you look around and say, I'm spending my life investing in other people. So there'll be people looking around and saying, man, that's a person that impacted me. That's a person that invested in me. That's the person that prayed for me. Because that's the life of the Apostle Paul, and that's the one that we should have as we invest our lives. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the great gospel that has saved us. We thank you for the great ministry that you've given us. And Lord, we just pray now that through your grace, you would use us. You would allow us to be able to minister and speak to people all around us. Lord, I pray that you would allow us to be able to encourage others, to strengthen them, to be partners. May, may, may Lord, may people find us to be useful. That we're willing to suffer with them, we're willing to walk with them. And that, Lord, we are genuine believers investing our lives in others. Use us for the gospel mission. May we impact those we're around. And ultimately, Lord, may we be able to sit back one day and say, Lord, thank you so much for making my life impact eternity. Uh, because, Lord, we don't just look at things here on earth. We have eyes that see forever. We know that there are much more weighty things than the things we can see. And so, Lord, may we invest our lives and build ourselves and build up treasures that are in heaven and not treasures here. We thank you for your word tonight. It's encouragement to us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.